0: If you're looking to buy or sell pre-IPO stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. Since 2009, SharesPost has transacted more than $4 billion in the top private tech companies. Proven, trustworthy, secure. Visit us at sharespost.com. Hello, and welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Silicon Valley editor, Connie Loises, and with us this week is Jamie Montgomery, a renowned investment banker of many years, and now venture capitalist and co-founder of March Capital. Jamie, thank you so much for coming.
1: Hello, Connie, great to be here. (laughs)
0: Um, So, guys, there is an incredible amount of news today. We're actually worried that this podcast could go on for six years. We're going to try to keep that from happening. But um, one of the big stories of today is Eventbrite, co-founded in 2012 and newly public today. Uh, Eventbrite is the online ticketing company that you've probably used at some point. To to be honest, a little bit surprised. I'm happy for the company, especially because it's led by um, one of the few sort of female CEOs uh, in tech who've been able to take their company public, Julia Hartz. It's always great to uh, sort of um, make that club larger. But the company has challenges. I mean, um, you know, I saw somebody compare it today to Dropbox, which I thought was pretty apt. Uh, For example, they both have sort of low paying or free users. They've sort of built their business on that. They both operate in commodified businesses with low margins, um, and they also, Jamie, I think this is perhaps uh, most interesting to me, they both have dual class structures, which is not at all unusual for tech companies anymore. Of course, it used to be very um, sort of extraordinary. But I was still a little bit surprised that a company like Eventbrite could get away with that. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Well, there are certain benefits to dual structure. I think if you're a long-term shareholder in a company and you feel like you know there's a chance that your stock may collapse at some point along the way and someone will acquire you, This protects you from that. It allows you to focus on the five- or ten-year execution plan. So hopefully that's what they're doing. I I think Julie's built a good business there. It's one of these um, kind of – what we call a tollgate business where you you receive a little bit of money every time it's used and it, and, it is, and there's a marketplace built into that and there's a more people who use it, the more the adoption is. So, so I think it's a good long-term business. I mean the valuation might have got a little ahead of itself, but I think five years from now, ten years from now, it will still exist, whether it's a standalone business or just a good business.
0: I happen to host events occasionally and I rely on it heavily. So I'm, I'm, I am I'm. hope it uh, continues to succeed too. But this is a big win also for um, Sequoia Capital, which is also an investor in Dropbox. Um, interestingly, it's also um, uh, a big win for Tiger. Tiger Global Management of sort of a private equity type firm that got into VC not that long ago. Um, and I think people were kind of wondering if Tiger would was knew what it was doing and was sort of making all kinds of bets in tech all of a sudden. And I think it kind of had people nervous. But frankly, it's had a great year. Uh, in addition to um, Eventbrite, it was an investor in Flipkart, and I think it was reportedly um, positioned to make like $3 billion when Flipkart sold a majority of its uh, business to uh, Walmart earlier this year. It was an investor in Glassdoor, which sold to a Japanese AHR company, Recruit Holdings, earlier this year for $1.2 billion. I don't know if that was a great return for them, but it was a return better than nothing. Uh, it was also an investor in Spotify, which right now is worth $30 billion. So um, we see some of the same names, you know, winning. Big in 2018. It's it's interesting to me. Also, another China-based company um, just went public. This is four-year-old Shenzhen, China-based X Financial, which is a, a company that I don't think uh, we've been necessarily tracking here in the U.S. But it's kind of like a lending club, uh, and it's and it's it's a it's a you know much uh, younger company. Um, and actually, you know, peer-to-peer lending. My understanding is it's much newer uh, in China, although it kind of took off in such a way that. Um, I had read in Reuters back in June that something like 200 and something companies had actually like folded. So hundreds of companies like sprung up around the idea of peer-to-peer lending. Some of them folded. I guess, you know, there was concern that the companies weren't being regulated tightly enough. So maybe it's no surprise that this company went public in the US. But it's interesting that it's kind of, you know, got these headwinds and it seems to be doing pretty well. Do you do anything about X Financial, Jamie?
1: Well, you know, we've... China is a, an insider's game. I mean, and, and for us to sort of sit there and look at it, you, you, you figure out that you know, they probably had some regulators wanting them to succeed and mm-hmm. wanting to have some feel for who they're lending to and what the, the amounts are. And, and uh, I, it looks like a pretty solid company. And, um, you know, again, it's, uh, it's a big trend of uh, Chinese IPOs. I was back at NASDAQ last Thursday, and over a third of the IPOs this year are from China. Over half are really? international. Really? Wow.
0: Wow, I didn't realize quite it was quite that high. Uh, well, there was another company that we talked about last week that I I'm so confused by, uh, Jamie. Maybe maybe you can make sense of it. But Neo. So Neo is this electric car company that has sort of positioned itself as a rival to Tesla, but it is really like very much a startup. I mean, this company made something like seven million dollars in the first half of this year. It lost five hundred million dollars. Uh, yet it went public. Um, and so, guys, we were talking about this last week. And I think, like as we were on the podcast, we were laughing and saying, oh, you know, the IPO did terribly. And then we took a look on the, you know, it was the second day of trading. And all of a sudden it was shooting up. And I'm not sure where it's trading today, but I think it's sort of held up. Why is this company suddenly interesting to investors?
1: Well, there's a, a couple reasons. One, um, and I'm not saying they're good reasons, but I'll <laughs> explain what's going on. I think, first of all, it's got a bit of a cult following along, kind of the high-end electric vehicles like Tesla does. And I, one of the things that we don't fully comprehend is if you're living in uh, Shanghai and you want to own a car, you'll pay over ten thousand dollars a year for a license to own the car. So the likelihood is you'll buy a high-end car. You're not going to buy a if you're paying that much to have a license to own a car, you're not going to buy a fifteen thousand dollar car. It just doesn't. You know, so you're, you're going to go high-end, and that's the mar- part of the market they'll be targeting. Secondly there's a lot of interest in dollar uh, denominated investments there's probably uh, you know 3 trillion dollars of private money in China alone that wants to access US dollar investments so there's a lot of pent up uh, uh, buyer interest from that part of the world for companies uh, to make dollar-denominated investments that would still leverage the Chinese market. So it's a it's a very there's a very nuance. Now, as I said, none of these are good reasons for buying that particular stock, but you can maybe if you, if you add all those things together with the amount of capital targeting China, you saw the Hill House announcement this week of a large fund, probably 85% of Sequoia's uh, most recent funds earmarked for China. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the where the where the uh, Saudis are putting the their money now. There's just a tremendous amount of liquidity in going into China for these sort of companies from all different sources of capital.
0: I kind of wondered, too, if it was benefiting from all this terrible news for from Tesla. You know, like, it was just that the SEC was looking into Tesla. It was The SEC has been looking into Tesla, reportedly, for uh, this tweet that Elon <laughs> Musk made on August 7th, this forum yes, this terrible, famous tweet saying that he's uh, secured funding. But it's not just that. I think they're also looking into Tesla because uh, they are wondering if, the company misled investors regarding uh, production of the Model Three car, but now it's worse. This this week, uh, Bloomberg reported that there is a, a criminal probe that the uh, Justice Department is looking into. So, you know, the the SEC can fine you, they can ban you, but the Justice Department can put you in jail. So, I, I mean, I'm just wondering if there's potentially, you know, people thinking, well, you know, here's this bright new shiny alternative to uh, to Tesla. Does well, maybe he'll,
1: he'll be able to tunnel his way out.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Hey, everyone.
1: Don't forget, this
0: episode is brought to you by Sheriff's Post. Um, well, I think it's interesting. I mean, I don't follow the transportation space as closely as some of uh, you know the other folks at, at um, TechCrunch. But I think this is uh, – so, so our, everybody knows – um, Uber wants to go public next year. It needs more revenue to do that. Um, it hasn't really had much luck in certain markets. Um, you know, it had to it was sort of battling things out with Didi in China, ended up sort of selling part of its business to Didi, um, sort of similarly was uh, duking it out with Grab um, in Singapore and decided to sort of, you know, team up rather than try to compete. Um, so here we are in the Middle East. Uh, it's reportedly in talks to, to buy this Dubai based rival car cream. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, it's it's not sewn up yet. Um, reportedly, this is for like $2 billion to $2.5 billion, which I guess makes sense. I think the company raised uh, money last year at a, like a billion-ish dollar valuation. It's interesting, though, too, there's, we, we were talking um, earlier today just about sort of, you know, these deals, and they're so insanely sort of incestuous and confusing. Um, so... Um, you know, I was just mentioning um, Grab, uh, you know, uh, being sort of a, uh, you know, Uber p- teaming up with Grab uh, recently. Uh, now, another um, competitor in Southeast Asia, Gojek, is uh, reportedly planning to raise $2 billion in fresh funding. So to compete with you know, I guess, grab slash Uber. Um, and it has its own, you know, totally different set of investors. Uh, there's just so much going on always in the uh, transportation space. It's amazing. And I don't know, did, did anybody notice that uh, Uber also is now reportedly in talks with, uh, the food delivery company Deliveroo.
1: Deliveroo is a good business similar to Grubhub. I mean, I, the, um, the food ordering business is is, is a good business. And, uh, I think, um, gr- um my understanding is Uber is very happy with how their business is performing there. Mm-hmm. So, And for many people, uh, these valuations and financing are mi- milestones along the way to an ultimate exit. And I think uh, Uber should be a very interesting IPO next year. And if uh, a number of the shareholders are merging their companies into um, – Uber and, and potentially taking stock as part of that consideration, there's a there's a lot more upside. So I I would view it as an in, interim step, and in that the uh, there'll probably be pretty good upside after the IPO at Uber and and, and many of the investors' minds.
0: Jamie, one question. You know, I I, I think I brought this up on a podcast. Once before, but I do think it's interesting. Years ago, maybe last year, two years ago, Bill Gurley had mentioned, you know, the, the problem with Uber going public is that everyone then who's not public can sort of dramatically yeah. reduce their costs and try to wring it dry. Is that a real concern for the company? Or
1: no? I look. I I, I think the industry is maturing a, a, a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have uh, uh, and people know what the cost is. They've, they've already done that. They try and undercut them here and there. But mm-hmm. you, you know, you've, you you have a pretty large company they was at 15 million rides per day in america i mean you know it's 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 extraordinary and you have several hundred thousand drivers in egypt i mean these are huge employers You have millions of uh, independent contractors for them in America. I mean, these these are big businesses now, and I I, I think times have changed in the last... I think the U.K. and Germany are are ahead of the U.S. in terms of ordering food to take out and doing it online and ordering. They're several years ahead of us under migration, so it's a little further along as maturity, and I think it's a great example for what Uber Eats could become.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, Okay, guys, we're almost out of time. But we we there's, as we said, at the outset of the uh, podcast, there's tons of stuff going on. There are a couple of deals that I mean, that we could mention, like, many, many deals, but a couple of deals that we thought were sort of interesting. Um, One is this company, uh, formerly called Roman, now called Roe. It's a sort of a men's wellness uh, company that it's kind of interesting. It's in this race with at least one other company called HIMS here in the Bay Area. And um, so both of them have started with a, an erectile dysfunction Um Piece of their business, and um, and they're getting into other uh, products. It's what's interesting about the companies is they have sort of identified a couple of trends that converged last year. One was uh, changes to telemedicine laws. So states now enable companies um, and their health service providers to offer and receive uh, reimbursement for telehealth technology. So these companies sort of can you know send out medicines, um, uh, and uh, you know insurers will. Um, uh, no longer sort of resist paying for these services uh, in a way that they did before, um, and also expiring patents. So, um, what was the uh, what was the big um, uh that one drug, oh, Viagra. Viagra. So um, I think Viagra's uh, patent doesn't expire until 2020, but it had struck a deal a few years ago with a generic drug maker, Tiva Pharmaceuticals, um, that allows it to launch a copycat version. Anyway, there's basically these companies are seeing all these patents that are expiring on drugs, and uh, they can sell these generic versions to their customers, which is sort of interesting. Uh, and and also, you know, they're they're talking about um, kind of businesses that people don't really want to talk about publicly, but that really impact people. Um, so you know. Erectile dysfunction is actually a huge um, problem i, I- don't have the numbers top of mind, but it's it's you know I think it's something like a quarter of men. I think according to the Cleveland Clinic, as many as much as like half of men experience erectile dysfunction. I I know it's you know maybe something that nobody on this podcast necessarily wants to talk about, but it's a very prevalent problem. Um, male pattern baldness is the same thing. Um, so you know men shutting their locks before they even reach the age of twenty one. I think there's like a quarter of men um, who are in that boat. So anyway, these companies are kind of sending out these products, and uh, so Roe just raised eighty eight million dollars it's a year-old company, uh, and it's super interesting. Um, Another company that raised a ton of money this week uh, was UiPath. Um, Now, this is a sort of a robotic process automation software company. We've talked about a couple of these companies in the past. This company just raised $225 million in Series C funding at a post-money valuation of $3 billion, and it just, months ago, raised $153 million in Series B funding. So, it's raised a lot of money in a short period of time. Uh, Jamie is is this one that you happen to yeah, know? Yeah, absolutely. I,
1: UA Path has just had uh, incredible growth this year from about $1 million of recurring revenue to $100 million of recurring revenue in less than two years. Wow. And so, what we're seeing is really the t- technological viability of AI has met with practical needs needs within large enterprises.
0: So, so and, when you when you talk about AI, so these are not like um, when we talk about uh, business process, process automation. To be clear, we're not talking about like industrial robots. We're talking, no, we're talking about, about like, document bots.
1: scanning, okay. data entry, mm-hmm. uh, invoice management—you know, mundane, air prone. Uh, a functionality that's t- traditionally been outsourced to India or Philippines or other markets. And okay. it's, it's the, the software portion is a is you know, true software license. There are uh, hundreds of billions of dollars of manpower businesses out there and the outsource companies, the business process outsourters, BPOs as they're referred to in India. And that industry is going to be ripped out and replaced by. This level of of, uh, uh, automation. Now, there's next generations of automation that's coming along. So, the play really is do they win by scaling up this business or there are more sophisticated models that come in? Oh, interesting. And and there's another question is Accenture, EY, the large systems integrators charge four to five dollars. On top of each dollar of software, traditionally, and how much of that of their role can be automated as well. Ooh. So it's a big issue for the SIs, for the Accentures, the EY. It's a big issue for the Indian BPOs, mm-hmm. but it's also a great opportunity for the American workers who wants to do more value add, more creative work, and then just processing invoices. So, so they're going to lose a, their jobs. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> I mean, it I mean, creates a, a hmm. lot of job opportunities in America. So right. it's, it's actually very exciting.
0: Well, there was some Danny. I don't know if you'd seen this some some stat uh, maybe in the Economist uh, this week about how many jobs. Are being displaced and how many will be replaced by those being um, destroyed? And I think they, I think this was sort of, oh no, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't the Economist, it was the World Economic well, Forum. World Economic Forum, yeah,
1: a, yeah it said yeah. over the next, between now and 2040 or 20, 2050, uh, 40% of the jobs would be replaced. But between now and 2050, almost all of us in the workforce will retire anyway. So, <laughs> I mean, so there'll be, there'll, 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 there'll be new jobs. So, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think that's actually a pretty interesting report. I had a chance to, to read it. But there's, again, I think. I, I think there's just tremendous opportunities to improve the function of call centers or to improve the automation of so many tasks in life using AI, but with an intelligent human overlay over it. And so and I, I think it's a, it's a very exciting area. It's an area that we're very much focused on.
0: Right. I like your uh, optimistic uh, <laughs> viewpoint. Um, okay, I think we're out of time. Anyway, Jamie, Jamie, a pleasure to have you here. Thank uh, you. And guys, we'll see you again next week. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. And a big thank you to Connie Loizos, our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Picavet, And we will see you all right here next week.